0: Welcome back to LPD Cast. I'm your host, Eloy Garcia, and we're speaking with Dr. Anita about the practice of building a board of advisors to support our leadership and professional development. Dr. Anita, you've mentioned a team that we can assemble that is pertinent to our leadership and professional development. Can you elaborate, please?
1: I certainly can. I love talking about a board of directors, but first, and i may be dating myself with this, but there's an old saying that no man or woman is an island. And that really means that everyone must rely on others to be successful. My favorite example is people that say so-and-so is a self-made millionaire. I get the concept, but if you think about it, they can't possibly be a self-made millionaire because at the very least, They needed other people to buy their products or services to make them that self-made millionaire, not to mention the people that are responsible for creating a product or service, promoting it, and getting it to the marketplace. So yes, while it may have been a brainchild of one person, it took teamwork to make the dream work. And everyone needs a team, and building a board of advisors is a good team to assemble first.
0: Thank you, Dr. Anita. And I love that saying, teamwork makes the dream work.
1: And I have heard that the dreams that scare you the most are the ones you really need to go after. And for sure, you need a team, if for nothing else, to keep pushing you forward. I know that I feel like what I'm trying to do right now is what's called a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. And sometimes just getting up, willing to face it, I need a cheerleader. So a board of advisors is huge, and I recommend that everyone get one.
0: For those of us that are new to the concept and practice, where should we begin?
1: A board of advisors has key five people on it, serving five specific roles. Some people call them by different names, but I refer to them as a mentor, a coach, a cheerleader, a sponsor, and a champion. And if this is your first board, I recommend starting with a cheerleader because a person is always going to be there to keep you motivated Is your cheerleader. And especially in challenging situations, even if you haven't necessarily achieved the outcome that you're looking for, you still need that cheerleader to remind you, hey, but you did something. So go for it. Then I would suggest a mentor because in many areas, you don't know what you don't know. And a mentor will share from their experiences to give you some perspective. Then I would suggest identifying a coach who will refrain from giving you answers as much as they ask questions. And I will tell you sometimes a coach can be exasperating, but the whole point is to cause you to stop and reflect and think about next steps. When we own our solution, we're more likely to implement our solution. And that comes by working with a coach who's gonna ask you those empowering questions. Then I would add a sponsor to provide visibility for you and a champion to open doors that you wouldn't otherwise have
0: access to. In previous conversations, we've mentioned the importance of viewing business as a partnership. It seems necessary to apply that point of view to our board of advisors as well.
1: Absolutely. Make certain that the people you select to be on your board of advisors share the same values as you do. For instance, it's important that you view leadership the same way. This morning, I was actually part of a private John Maxwell coaching session. And I'm sure you know, John Maxwell, the world renowned leadership guru. And the topic was about leading in times of crisis, especially in today's pandemic, he really wanted to make it relatable to everyone. One of the first things he said was that when you decide to become a leader, and I want everybody to hear this, When you decide to become a leader, you give up the right to put yourself first. And that is so true. And in a crisis, bad leaders are always looking out for number one. Good leaders will always make sure their people are taken care of first. And I can tell you, as someone who's experienced both good and bad leaders, the good leaders that made sure I was taken care of, I would go to the wall for them. They didn't have to ask me to put in extra hours. I just did it. I helped my leader do whatever needed to be done because I knew that my leader cared about me as a person. So back to making sure that whoever is on your board shares the same values that you do. If you value servant leadership, but someone else values leadership as just a means to get to the next level, that is not someone that you want to have on your board. And that it's critical that whoever you surround yourself with has the same values as as you do, especially if you lead others. The other thing that was said this morning in the coaching was that, and this is something that I tell people all the time, you're a leader. You do not have to be in a formal leadership position with X number of people under you to be a leader because someone's always watching you. That makes you a leader. And he took it a step further. He said, if you're a parent, you're a leader at home. If you're a volunteer, you're a leader with other volunteers you're always going to be watched. You're always going to be considered a leader. So do not confuse leadership with the number of people that you have formal responsibility for. Leadership is wherever you are visible and we're visible everywhere we go.
0: Oh, wow, that's really powerful. There are two ideas from, from that that I want to elaborate more with you. At the Circle of Change Leadership Conference in 2018, when we met, I heard the perspective of to be a leader is to be of service to the people you lead. And while I've always felt that on some level and understood it on some level, that put the concept into words and therefore allowed me to understand it in a different way and also share that idea with others because it's really important. Like you said before, you know, leaders get to the position because of their know-how and their experience and all of the hard work that they've done. Then that therefore means that they need to prop up and support their team now they need to share and empower and give as much as they've learned or or that's my perspective of what a good leader does
1: you're absolutely right that is exactly what a good leader does a good leader builds other leaders a good leader wants to get you to the point where you're no longer on the team and i've seen so many leaders say well i can't afford to let Eloy go because he's just the best at what he does well That's not fair to Eloy (laughs) and if he's the best at what he does, get him out there so that he can have influence with other people. Um, I think one of the most selfish acts that a quote unquote leader could ever do is to say, this person's too valuable on my team for me to let them go. Well, if you groomed them to the point of being so valuable, how about giving someone else an opportunity to be groomed to the point of being invaluable and push them out and groom someone else to the point of being invaluable and push them out so that they can have greater influence in the organization. That, to me, is true leadership. And again, that's not thinking about, well, I need to make sure that I make my number so that I can be number one amongst my peers. I'm putting myself first. No, you put other people first. Because think about it. If you can develop a relationship as a leader who grooms and develop other leaders, how much more valuable are you making yourself? Absolutely. Right?
0: The other concept that I'd like to talk about a bit is of being in the public eye, essentially. I started volunteering at the community center in my neighborhood at about 14 years old and started working there at 16 years old, as soon as I can get a working permit. And I can totally see that. You're so <laughs> ambitious. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. I worked in the recreation department. So we were outside and it was fun and we would you know, tutor the kids and, and um, take them to play sports. And it was, it was a really good job to have. And I say that to say that when you work for the city or where you work for the county, you work for the public sector? which means that you are always in the public eye and you are always being observed. I won't say judged and no, I won't say scrutinized, I'll say observed. In some situations, those two words might come into play, but everyone's watching you and you do, we do lead by example, you know, and, and I learned that very early on and I had a wonderful leader then who, like you say, just went to bat for us every time So we did the same. And I'm always so grateful of that experience because that was my first job. That was my very first job. So it's not that the standard was high, it's that the understanding of good leadership was high. Mm -hmm. And I was then fortunate to go into other positions and, and have that perspective of learning more. That set a good foundation for me.
1: You know, I'm glad you mentioned the fact that when you're in leadership intentionally, either as a volunteer or in a more formal role, that, you have to think about the public visibility and I've always been one to be warm and inviting when I'm out just because that's who I am. And last summer I was telling my husband about a conference that I had gone to and I think I had a lot on my mind and I was sitting at a table by myself having lunch because I wanted to be by myself. Mm -hmm. And someone came over to me and he sat down and he wanted to talk to me and I'll be honest I wasn't as engaging as I normally would have been if I didn't have other things on my mind. And I came home and my I told my husband about it and he said, "You know, if you're going to be Dr. Nita, you have to be Dr. Nita all the time. Not just when you don't have things on your mind, but especially when you do have things on your mind." He said, "You're out there now. People are going to see you, people are going to recognize you, so you always have to be Dr. Nita." So when we're leaders again, we have to make sure that we are reminded that we have given up our right to put ourselves first. As leaders, we can't say, well, they'll just have to deal with it because I'm having a bad day today. You can't do that. Now, when I teach spin cycle classes, that's different because if I've had a bad day, they're getting a super good workout. (laughs) And once I've warmed up and calmed down a little bit, you know, But as as leaders, when we're going to be public, either if we've decided to volunteer for something or if we've been put in a formal place, we have to remember that we have to show up as leaders regardless of what's going on. That being said, part of leadership is also to be vulnerable and to tell people. I remember one time I was teaching a class and my mentor had been very, very ill. And I found out in the middle of class that he had passed. and. I was shaken, and so I put everyone on a break for about 10 minutes, and I came back, and I was very honest with them. I said, you know, um, my longtime mentor, who has meant so much to me that I've actually started calling him my godfather because he just became part of the family. I said he passed, and I told them about the history and how had it not been for him, I would not be there teaching that class. That's how much of an influence he had in my life. And so I told them, I'm gonna give you the best that I can give you right now, but this is, this is what's going on. And so many people came up to me and said, we appreciate your, your honesty, we appreciate your transparency, we're here for you and we're gonna help you through this. So to show up as a leader means we need to remember that we're a leader and that we're being watched, but it also means that we role model what it means to be authentic and transparent. Because people need to understand just because you're in a leadership role doesn't mean you no longer have feelings. It doesn't mean you don't hurt. It doesn't mean you don't go through stuff. It means you manage through it. And sometimes managing through it means I got to tell my team so that they can support me right now. And I think a lot of times we are confused that leaders shouldn't do that, that leaders shouldn't have hesitation, that leaders shouldn't be um, questioning what's going on right now. It means we show up. We show up strong, but we show up real. And being real means we got to be real with ourselves and being real with our people. That's not to say that we cause them to doubt our leadership. Is to say, yes, I'm human and this is what I'm dealing with, but we're going to get through it together. Let's go team. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, it does, and thank you for sharing that. In these moments when, as leaders, we are tired, we have something on our mind and we're going through something, I think the tool that you've shared with us before of extending grace to ourselves helps. Yes, us. yes. A lot because you check in with, it's almost like checking in with yourself and remind yes. yourself, okay, I'm I'm tired. I've had a long day. That was kind of what this weekend was like for me, particularly yesterday. You now I've had a long day, you know, read an incredibly long chapter, you know, took a difficult test. It's the end of the day. And one it's one thing after another. One phone call ends and I've got another one. And then that one's about an hour and then you go into another one. And then right after that, someone has another question and, and this is what it is, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's fine. That's great. Like you said, we've signed up for this and I've been able to learn to manage those days by extending the grace, like you're saying, because it's mm-hmm. like a mini check-in of, okay, I know you're tired and I know you've done all this. And I know the left part of your brain is hurting really badly. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: getting a cramp.
0: The <laughs> person that is approaching you needs something. Mm -hmm. And they need something that you have, or they need something that you can help with. And they are not at fault, right? Or they are not the reason why your day has been so long. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So just get through this one as well, and, and you'll be fine. You know, extending that grace helps in those moments for me.
1: I think what you just said, when you mentioned, this is leadership and I signed up for it. It sparked something in me. Yes, we signed up for it, but that doesn't mean we know what we signed up for. (laughs) We don't know what we don't know, which is why a board of advisors is absolutely critical. Because even though you know you want to be a servant leader, even though you know you want to help, even though you know you've been gifted with so much to give to other people, even though we signed up for it, we don't know what we don't know about what we just signed up for in terms of leadership, which is why a board of advisors
0: is crucial. Good point, Dr. Anita. And you just mentioned mentorship. Yeah, Mentorships can be intimidating to seek out for a lot of us. Can you help us determine how we should establish this relationship?
1: First of all, I want to go to something that I may have mentioned in our last conversation, which is remote intimacy. I think for the generations coming up, they've been so accustomed to establishing relationships in social contexts online that the importance of being able to interact one-on-one with people. They've not yet necessarily had a chance to cultivate that skill set. And I think that's part of why it might be a little intimidating for some people to build mentorships because they're used to those remote relationships versus a one-on-one, really intimate relationship. The type of relationship that I think you and I have that says, I'm looking at Eloy. Something's not right. Eloy, what's going on? Because we've met, we've we've established a rapport, person to person, face to face. So we know each other's spirits, right? But to just be able to see you online, I may not be able to sense that. And I think that might be some of the challenge for some folks in developing face to face, one-on-one mentorships. So I wanted to say that first, because if you are constantly only focusing on online relationships, you're missing a real opportunity to go deeper with a face-to-face relationship. And that opportunity gap is where it might be kind of difficult to feel like you can approach uh, a mentorship. That being said, because I'm, I'm of the generation that, that really established relationships first and then carried them online versus establishing them online and then carrying them to the one-on-one, all of my mentorships have happened pretty naturally. I almost hate to say this, but when I started out as a young professional, the Internet didn't even exist. So the benefit that you and I have to meet on Zoom, that was not a capability. You either met people face to face or you had a phone call and you just had to know how to connect with people. So because of that, again, my mentorships have happened naturally. And I think that's the key. But if you're being intentional about finding a mentor, I have a one sheet with some guidance that I created that I'm more than happy to make available to your listeners, and we can figure that out after the broadcast. But in the meantime, I suggest finding someone whose skill set you admire, then do your homework about that person and their industry so that when you meet, you're prepared for a really good conversation. And this is critical never make a potential mentor guess how they can help you. Always be ready to offer ways that you're willing to help them as well. Mentorship should be a reciprocal, mutually beneficial relationship. In other words, don't always go to your mentor for something. Sometimes come to your mentor with an offering of something. How can I help you in this area? I know this is going on in the industry and I have insight in this. Do you think that that would be useful on a project that you're working on? Or how about this? Just take it, well, when we're able... Take your mentor out for some coffee. I really appreciate the time that you're investing in me. Can I buy you coffee? Even just those slight, tangible offerings of appreciation go so far in not just a mentoring relationship, but in any relationship. When's the last time anyone ever to treat their boss out to lunch? Do that. You know, I had a director. His favorite spot was Burger King. So once a month we went to Burger King and it was great. He appreciated it and he actually took time with me. It took a lot of time, you know. So let's not assume that people are too busy. Some people are just looking for a reason to get out and put their minds on something else. So don't be afraid to seek out a mentor. Hi, I'm Charday, and I've sponsored this episode of LPD Cast. I'm a co-contributor to Insanity Check, where we discuss current events and we ask the question. Is this crazy or is it just me? You can tune into our conversation on YouTube. Search for Real Conversations with Dr. Anita.
0: I think the Burger King lunch meetings say something about meeting people where they are. You know, it's yes, complicated.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and that's what you that that is the type of characteristic that you should look for in all of the people on your board of advisors. Are they willing to meet you and others where they are? That is huge. That is critical. And that is also a message that I deliver to leaders when I look, when I work with them. Meet people where they are. You know, what you consider 80% of somebody's effort might actually be what they consider 100% of their effort. So we need to meet them at how they're defining 100% effort and not how we define 100% effort. Oh,
0: that was great. That's really
1: Well, I'll have to thank my husband for that because he used to tell me all the time, you know, honey, you've got to take it easy because your 100 is way up here. Somebody else's 100 might be a couple notches below, but that's their 100. You got to meet folks where they are. So I credit my
0: husband for that. That's all thinking. I will definitely send that along <laughs> to him. Wonderful perspective that we should be leading with. Dr. Nita, could you help us clarify between roles? For instance, how is a mentor different from a coach?
1: That is a really important question, and often when I work with leaders, they use the term mentor and coach interchangeably, but the two roles are quite distinct, and when I was doing my research for my doctorate, I researched that both mentors and coaches are defined as part of what's called helping relationships, and that's a real term, and as I mentioned earlier, mentors provide guidance based on their own experiences, and coaches ask empowering questions to help people arrive at their own solutions based on their own experiences. Both are important roles and they each have specific purposes. Sometimes one person can serve as a mentor and a coach. So when you have those conversations with that one individual, it's important for you to be clear about what role you need them to serve for you in that conversation. Be clear, right now I need a mentor. Tell me what your experience was in this. Or right now I need a coach, here's what happened. What questions can you ask me to help me really reflect on what I did this time and what I do differently next time? The outcome of the conversation will be different based on who it is that you're talking to. So again, if one person serves as mentor and coach for you, when you talk with them, be very clear. Um, Eloy, in today's conversation, I want you to serve as my mentor. I want you to tell me based on your experiences. Tomorrow might be all right, Eloy. Today, I need you to serve as my coach ask me some questions that will help me reflect on what just happened.
0: Thank you for giving us those clear questions that we can ask ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? Because we need to be intentional about these relationships. And when we're tapping into this wonderful knowledge about what it is that we're seeking to get out from it, what am I struggling with, or what am I wrestling with Mm -hmm. and who can I reach out to, to see Mm -hmm. about overcoming this obstacle or learning this new skill?
1: That's, that's important because to your point, Sometimes we don't know what we're dealing with. We don't know what's got us all wound up. We just don't know. And so in a case like that, it might even be a good time to talk to a cheerleader. You know, remember a cheerleader is there to boost you on whether you got it right or whether it happened to be a lesson learned. Sometimes just talking through something with a cheerleader will help you realize, well, no, because you're really good at this or you're really good at that, you know? But um, I'm glad you mentioned that. Sometimes we don't even know what we're dealing with. So how can we possibly know who to go and talk to about it?
0: Can you share a member of your board with us?
1: Yes. The person that comes to mind is Mr. Walter Caldwell. He's since retired, but he worked with me at a company that I had tried to get into for a particular position. And he was first my cheerleader because when I applied for the job, he said, oh, you're the strongest candidate I've ever seen. You did this right. You did that right. You're just going to be great for the job. Well, I didn't get the job. Hmm. And so he mentored me and helped me get into the company at a different level. And once I'd been there, then he coached me to get into the position that I had originally applied for and eventually got. And again, over time, he's more like a member of the family. So I call and rely on him to be a cheerleader, a coach, a mentor, a sponsor, a champion. He's been one of all five of those at one time or another. And again, it's just a relationship that kind of grew organically. And I would say that all of the relationships that I have have grown organically. Even when I went and sought out people intentionally, it was because we connected well. And that's huge. If you don't connect well with the people that are going to be surrounding you as a board, there's no point in asking them. So remember that when you select people as potential board members, it's their privilege to be that for you don't ever think that you're doing someone a favor by asking them if they're privileged to be a part of your circle and help you develop into the person you're supposed to be.
0: Wow. Can you, can you elaborate on that please? Cause I think that can be a challenging, that can be a challenging thought for some of us to accept if we're tentative about our leadership development, right? Can mm-hmm. you elaborate on that please?
1: So one of the people that I approached was the CEO of my last company and When I approached her, I was very straightforward about it. I said, you know, in this company's 50-year history, you are the first woman and the first woman of color. And every time I see you walk into the room to address the corporation, I get emotional and I have to fight back the tears of pride and joy. Would you please be my mentor? And she said yes. But it was a privilege for her to help me develop the skills that I saw in her. Just because you're a CEO doesn't mean that I'm going to ask you to be part of my circle, because if I can't relate to you, first of all, as an individual, and then if I don't see characteristics in you as a leader that I want to develop in myself, you're not going to have a chance to be in my circle. That's not to say that I'm arrogant. It's to say I know the type of people that I want to surround myself with. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, it does. And I think that also speaks to intentionality that we need to have. Now I'm thinking about it in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it can't just be anyone. If I have a particular goal, it has to be maybe a group of people, like you're saying, in advisors, and, and they have to be tailored, right? That's to, right. For all of us to get, to get there. Because if we are a group, then we all made it, right? That's right. That's right. Which is why it's a privilege for them to be in your circle. And don't be scared. Thank you for that understanding. Absolutely. Dr. Anita, what about Mr. Caldwell's leadership resonated with you?
1: First of all, he was no nonsense. He did not say things just to hear himself talk. And at first he was so complimentary that I'm thinking, come on. In all the years that he's been doing this, I'm the like one person who got everything right, but when he gave me examples of what he dealt with on a regular basis with people in leadership levels that were far above my pay grade, I knew that he was sincere in what he saw in me. And he said, you know, the reason you didn't get this job is because they were intimidated because you could have taken not only the job that was being listed, but two jobs above. And I said, but I don't want that job. I want this one. That's where I am. He said, it doesn't matter because eventually it would have been obvious to everyone that you could have had this job that was two tiers up. And so that goes back to what we were saying about when you decide to be a leader, you give up the right to put yourself first Mm -hmm. and good leaders put their people first. A leader that's intimidated by someone below them is not a good leader. A leader is not the person who has all of the answers all of the time. Because if that's you, you're in the wrong room. You're not growing. And that's not an original Anitaism. That's something that I've heard. If you're the smartest person, and I'm sure you've heard it too, and I'm sure your listeners have heard it too. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room because you have nowhere to grow. If you are the type of leader that is intimidated by the folks that you lead, that's crazy. Because number one, your job is to build a well-rounded team. And a well-rounded team means that everyone on that team has a level of subject matter expertise in what they do. You look great by being smart enough to bring those people on board and create a strong team. So if you're intimidated by people that you lead, there's a problem. There's a problem. So back to your question about what it was that resonated with me about Walter. He was a straight shooter. He didn't talk just to hear himself talk. If you're right, he gave you credit. If you were not right, (laughs) He would help you get there. And that brings me to another leader. She was just amazing. She never said no to anything. And if she couldn't say yes, she would help you come up with ways to get her to say yes. In other words, she never said no, but if it wasn't an immediate yes, she would help you figure out how to get her to yes. And that's a huge difference, right, between a leader that says yes or no or yes and this is what i need to get to yes huge difference
0: that reminds me of mike mitchell who was my boss at the city of riverside because whenever we proposed something to him whether it was a after school program or activity or an event that we wanted to have he always wanted us to present everything to him he wanted as all the questions that we had in our head answers to those questions even if they weren't right and, and now in hindsight, I realized that he wanted us to really think in depth about what we were doing. He didn't want us to have these wonderful ideas that were just ideas because they weren't plausible. And like you said, he wouldn't shoot us down. He wouldn't say no. Instead, he would ask more questions or he'd redirect our, our idea to where we'd get there. But we wouldn't have been able to get there without him.
1: Yes. And how did that make you feel that he guided you to a yes versus saying no?
0: It's really empowering because that's not what we always encounter. That's you know? right. Especially being a teenager in school, there's typically one right answer. And you get there through, you know, one or two means. You study really hard or you know the material and it comes naturally. Yeah. You know? And what, we, what I learned from Mike was that there's a lot of ways to do things.
1: Mm-hmm. What
0: is going to work for what you want to do? Yes. You know, so it almost opened up a whole different set of tools that I hadn't realized I had with me the whole time.
1: And I can tell, looking at you as you recount that story about Mike, that it was impactful then and it's still impacting the way you think today.
0: You know, it does. It does. Um, I haven't had that job in a long time. Those were formative years for my leadership mm-hmm. and all those positive things I carry forward because I've been able to learn from them and I feel like others can as well. Dr. Anita, should our board members remain the same or should they evolve over time?
1: I absolutely love this question. The answer is, drumroll, please, brrr, it depends, <laughs> right? Like a corporation, board members will come and go. So it all depends on what your professional development and career goals dictate at any given time. Just because people rotate off your board though, that doesn't mean that you sever the relationship That said, make sure that you're always expanding your network according to what you need and how you can serve others. Remember, have a mindset that board members are opportunities to engage in a mutually beneficial relationship now, in the future, and for the long term when possible. Sometimes board members are in your life for a season. And sometimes board members are there during a transition. Sometimes they're there for the long haul. But always make sure that it can be mutually beneficial. Again, And what you bring to a board member might just be a real sense of appreciation because even though we're always pouring into one another's lives, people are not necessarily appreciated for what they do. And always remember this, people don't have to do anything for you. They don't have to recommend you. They don't have to speak well of you. They don't have to open doors for you. So whenever someone does that, appreciate them. That being said, the degree to which someone helps you For instance, if someone can help you get a job, you may not necessarily be able to thank them in that same way, but thank them anyway. You may not ever be able to return the favor, but that's what's called paying it forward. Mm -hmm. So don't just help people that can help you back. Sometimes your greatest reward is gonna be helping people that can do nothing for you other than really express deep gratitude. That's what paying it forward is about. Because people have helped you that you could in no way return the favor, equitably speaking. But again, they paid it forward to you and helped you get where you're trying to go. You pay for it with others and help get them where they're trying to go. That's also a sign of true leadership. Help because you can, not because you expect something in return.
0: That's really great. I feel like that falls in line with integrity almost.
1: Absolutely.
0: The right thing, not because there's a rule or because someone's watching, but because it's the right thing to do. Absolutely. Dr. Fred Yant is someone that I've met through Bob, which is wonderful, and he's been in education for decades. He connected me with Dr. Julie Taylor, who was on the board of communication at at CSUSB. And this is when it was that transition period that that you're talking about. I was going from community college to university. There was a lot of insecurity, there were a lot of questions, and there was a lot of doubt. And Dr. Yant, he's great, he's wonderful. He doesn't suffer fools, right, either, which is great because it allows you to level up, like you've said in, in conversations before of, you know, okay, I know this is new, but I also know this person has my back and they're going to support me. He connected me with Dr. Julie Taylor, who has been an advisor over the almost a year now that I've been at the university and also with two peer mentors. So not only are they just any old peer mentors, but they're peer mentors in the communication department, they're graduate teaching assistants, they're Latinx, and they're LGBTQ plus as well. So Dr. Yan has been very intentional about the support that he's provided. It's also been because every time that he's curated a relationship for me, I've ran with it. He sends me an email, he says this is their number, or he puts us on a joint email, and then the responsibility is there in mine after to call, to communicate, to reach out, and to really flesh out these relationships.
1: I think that's beautiful, and that's absolutely the way it should work.
0: Dr. Anita, when will we know that we are ready to be a member of someone's board of advisors?
1: That is a powerful question, and it reminds me of a conversation I had with one of my mentors, the CEO of the last company that I worked with before going out on my own, and I think I mentioned that she was the first woman and first woman of color in that company's 50-year history. And I was telling her about my next career move because she had been my mentor. And even though she was a CEO, we met once a year. And I loved talking with her because whatever she told me in that year, I followed through for that next year until we met again. I'd give her my results, the impacts, the people that I met. She'd give me another set and I followed through until the next year. And one of the greatest compliments she said to me was, I like sitting down talking with you because I know you're going to bring me questions that cause me to think. And that keeps me on my toes. So when I was telling her about my next career move and I asked who I should seek out as my next mentor, she told me I was at the stage in my career where I needed to invest in others as their mentor and it was sound advice and I've been mentoring ever since. Now, up to that point, people had always come to me. So I'd always seen myself as a peer mentor, but after having that conversation with her, I made it clear that I was available to be a mentor to anyone who needed it, not just my peers. And Prior to leaving the company, I became known as the go-to mentor for emerging professionals. And I actually was the first inductee into their Career Mentor Hall of Fame. So that made me feel really good.
0: Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm not surprised at all. And I think it's really great of them to have leaned into the wonderful deep knowledge that you have and commended you for it because you're brilliant. Ah, You're so sweet. I appreciate that. I worked very
1: hard studying the differences between coaching and mentoring and I was actually on the Corporate Wide Mentoring Initiative that actually formalized a mentoring program for the whole company. And that we, at that time, we had just under 5,000 employees. So it was huge. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. And it expanded my network. So, again, when we talk about leaders and putting ourselves out there, not really knowing what we're putting ourselves out there for, make sure that you're well-connected so that you don't feel like you're in it alone. Because you never, are. You never should be in it alone.
0: Dr. Anita, as we wrap up our conversation about our Board of Advisors and how we should go about curating our Board of Advisors, is there anything else we should absolutely do?
1: Yes, I'm glad you asked. And the answer is be intentional. I kind of alluded to this earlier and now is a good place to reinforce this. Do not undervalue the importance of a position on your board regardless of where you are in your career right now. Whether you're just starting out or whether you're running your own organization, everyone needs a team. And Bill Gates has said that everyone needs a coach. And this is true, even though I'm a coach, I have several myself. And this weekend I was talking with a colleague and she shared an amazing quote with me that goes like this. We can't read the label on our own jar from the inside. And that's true. And that is the benefit of having a board of advisors in a nutshell.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Anita. That was great.
1: You're welcome. As always, Elo, I so enjoy talking with you.